Tuesday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're looking for something to help with pain, anxiety, or just an opioid alternative, Artisan Botanicals has what you're looking for. Plus, they have a staff dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if there are any questions about these products or their health benefits, don't hesitate to reach out to Artisan Botanicals and they can help you. 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% when you order online. So order your Kratom or Delta 8 or whatever it is online, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW and you will save 15% off your online order at Artisan Botanicals, again, abotanicalcompany.com. All right, it is Tuesday. It's draft week. We're going to have a lot of conversations about the NFL draft as we get ready for Thursday night. Speaking of Thursday night, Aaron Davis and I are going to be broadcasting live from Chalk in Chisholm Creek throughout the first round. We're going to start at 6.30. The draft begins at 7. We will have reaction and analysis of all 32 picks. So uh, come hang out with us. It's going to be a great time. There's going to be free draft swag. Uh, So wear your favorite team's gear. Show up. uh, Eat the amazing food. $3 Bud Lights the entire evening. um, And grab some draft swag. And just watch the draft. It's it's, uh, such an amazing event when you can do it. At a cool place like Chalk, I think it just makes it that much better. Plus, we have a massive giveaway going on Thursday night. Uh, when you come in, you're going to have the opportunity to draft a prospect from the hopper. If you pull one of the top 10 picks, you're going to win a prize. So we have prizes for the top 10 selections in the NFL draft. By the way, the number one selection, who's going to be Trevor Lawrence, uh, if you draw Trevor Lawrence, you're going to win a Baker Mayfield autographed canvas print. So this is such a cool prize. I'm really excited that somebody's going to win this thing on Thursday night. And all you have to do is draw Trevor Lawrence out of the hopper. So it's as simple as that. But again, top 10 winners. We have free draft swag, awesome prizes, and uh, it's just going to be a great night. So join Aaron Davis and I at Chalk in Chisholm Creek on Thursday night. All right, from the Tulsa Sports Animal, my weekly Tuesday conversation with Eric G. Eric G, what is happening today, my friend? Wow, I am so excited. I am so jacked up for this week. Um, Still living off the high of of going to Stillwater and Norman this Saturday and and seeing both the pregames. Then, one of America's best sporting events, one of its top three sporting events, happens on Thursday with the NFL draft, and right now I'm going back and forth with the Jets fan on Twitter, and I'm so jacked up because he's like, you're not presenting any facts. There's new te- there's new people running the team, and it's like, dude, they're the Jets. They just, they're just going to screw this up. They're going to draft Zach Wilson second. You're going to want to get rid of him after three years, and the organization perpetually underdeveloped and overdrafts. That's what the Jets do. They always overestimate people, and then they underdevelop them, and they can't figure out how to how to get out of their own way. That's just your lot in life. So, yeah. yes, um, knowing knowing that the Patriots are still going to screw things up, it at least gives you – you can take <laughs> solace in the fact that the Jets are going to do something worse than, than New England. And Zach Wilson – Hey, great. You're the number two pick overall. You're going to make a lot of money. Just know that in three years, you're not going to be wearing green and white anymore. Maybe green and maybe midnight green. They may trade you to the Eagles or you'll find your way over there. But the the Jets will figure out a way to blow this. And taking Zach Wilson second guarantees that. When you can get Kyle Pitts, when you can get Devonta Smith, uh, when, when you could have given Sam Darnold 
a target, you're going to go ahead and take Zach Wilson, a quarterback who hasn't played in the Power Five. Bravo. Bravo, New York Jets. Dude, I love it. You are coming out guns blazing. Top. Hey, by the way, did you say top three sporting event? Yes, easily. One of the top three sporting events that we have in this country. Wow. And it may be the best. And here's, okay, here's what I wasn't expecting that. Here's what makes the draft better than, let's just say that I used this example today on the air. So I'll just, I'll just regurgitate. And if you heard the show, if you listen to the show today, first of all, thank you. Thank you very much for listening to to Coach Jones and myself. Um, But let's compare it to the Super Bowl. Here's what makes the draft better than the Super Bowl. One, Super Bowl, there's only two teams. So unless you're just a diehard football fan who just loves football, no matter who's playing, you're already emotionally unattached if if it's not one of your teams involved in the Super Bowl. Two, the NFL does such a great job of making the Super Bowl an entertainment event that most of the talk around the Super Bowl becomes about the pregame, the halftime, the commercials the parties, the week of the Super Bowl and everything going on around it, that the football itself gets lost. I mean, you have to I mean, you have to force yourself to watch ESPN, to watch the NFL network for, for long stretches of time to in between all the in air quotes Super Bowl talk to get the NFL news that comes out because usually in Super Bowl week there's a lot of NFL news going on, but sometimes it gets swallowed up unless it's a, unless it's a big move for a player or a coach is getting hired. So it, it sort of shrinks. So with the draft, one, it is almost now 100% football. Yeah, the Black Pumas are going to play and so are Kings of Leon, and they're going to do this, this pre-draft thing, but it's pretty much just about football. Yeah, Every team is involved in the draft. Even if your team doesn't have a first-round pick, at some point, they're going to be forced to do something in the draft. If you're a college football fan and you're not really a big fan of the NFL, you want to watch to see where all these players you've been emotionally attached to or players you've watched over the last three years, you want to see where they land. Um, it's more bragging rights for your school, uh, especially lately if you're you're an Alabama fan. You can almost feel even better about your recruiting and, and OU is you know, maybe hitting that way and that makes it fun. Plus, you have that inevitability of the Jets and the Eagles fans who always hate their picks, which is as redundant as it is, it's still fun to watch. Absolutely. There's always there's always somebody other than the Jets, not to pick on them. There's always somebody other than them that will screw things up and make you just go, oh, my God. What the hell were they thinking? Did they really just move up to get this guy, or did they just draft that guy? And there's that look on whether it's Mel Kuyper's or um, uh, who's ever doing it for the NFL. Now, Daniel Jeremiah's face of like, wow, yeah, I had this guy, you know, 60th on my draft board, and right. the Raiders just took him, took him at three, which brings out a lot of great hot opinions in yeah. sports talk. And it's just something you get so caught up in that you're never you're never short of an opinion. And as somebody that loves sports talk radio and does it for a living, I mean, really, truly loves the format, 
this is some of the greatest sports talk radio you'll hear all year long is within the draft. And it, and it doesn't just take place on the television or on the radio. It takes place in your living room. Everybody on this night becomes a talk show host that is just loaded with off-the-cuff opinions. And that alone may make the draft the best sporting event that we have in this country because you just – there isn't anything else that gives us the, the range of emotions that we get, and there isn't anything else that, that is, is as inclusive as, as the NFL draft is in a sporting event. Bravo, sir. Bravo. As a massive draft nerd, I couldn't have sold that as well as you just sold it. In fact, I may package this together, send it to the NFL and say, if you ever need to promote the NFL draft, my friend Eric G has it figured out. He just, he did it for you. The work is done. You just got to hit the play button. Um, you're, you're spot on, well, man. It's, it's, it's an event where everybody has some sort of rooting interest uh, the thing that we love about sports is the hope factor, right? And on draft night, everybody right. is hopeful that they're going to get that missing piece, that they're going to land the player that wins them a Super Bowl in the next five years. And again, because it happens, there's no immediate payoff. So you could have drafted a future Hall of Famer or a complete dud, and people are going to have different opinions on it. Um I'm with you, man. I love the NFL draft. I, I think it's a lot of fun. Everybody gets to kind of play GM and and play scout. And it's, uh, yeah, I can't wait for Thursday night. I, I, I think this event is just incredible. And uh, look, for my team, they're in the top 10 this year. So, you know, they're talking about a difference maker. Uh, I know your guys are at basically the midway point of this first round. And then if you're just a fan, like you mentioned, of like college football, for example, um, where does a guy like Justin Fields land for, for the Oklahoma fans who may not be connected to a, a certain NFL team? Although I would say most of those people are probably identifying as Browns fans these days, at least here in the state of Oklahoma. Um, you know, where does Creed Humphrey slide into the tail end of the first round? Where does Ronnie Perkins go on day number two? Because I think he's going to be a second round pick. Um, you're exactly right. I, I think this thing has so many different angles that can bring sports fans in in general, football fans in in general? The NBA draft is almost as good. The problem with the NBA draft is after the first round, and, and sometimes after about maybe take 25, you start to lose a little interest. It just doesn't feel like it, like it, it, it matters that much. And certainly in the second round, you're like, in the second round, you whether you know it or not, you've already doomed somebody's fate that they're not going to, you, you just, you doom their fate that they're not making the team or they're going to play yeah. in the G league. Yeah. And you almost feel like, well, who are they going to pick up free agent wise? Because that guy is, is going to be a little bit better. The thing that makes the, the NBA draft, if you want to just compare the two, the thing that might give the NBA draft a little bit of the edge is all the trading is, is when you're not able to make that trade, inside the draft to swap picks where it's where a team like the Celtics says, Hey, if you'll take player X, we'll take player Y. And we know you don't, we know you really want player Y, but we know that you don't want to pay that much for him because all the metrics say that he is not, he, you should not draft him where you're drafting and you're going to overpay. We really want this guy. And, we're willing to move up to get him, but if you 
if you want to pay your guy less, we'll we'll make the deal. We'll draft your guy, you draft ours, and then we'll swap and you and, and you can work it out. That makes the that makes the NBA fun because guys seem to change teams uh, a, a little bit, you know, but before they even have a chance to to really set foot in one city or another, they they change teams, and, and that makes the NBA draft a, a little bit more fun. The problem with that is is nobody's watching college basketball anymore. So how many of these guys right. do you really know other than what the pundits have told you, at least with the NFL draft? People still love college football. It's still a compelling, good product. With college basketball, you've got to force yourself to watch that garbage right now. <laughs> you really do. I mean, there is there is nobody that could have watched the NBA tournament other than Baylor and maybe Gonzaga to a lesser extent and thought this is high quality entertainment. Baylor was good entertainment. They were an athletically gifted team that was as close to a replication of what you're going to see in the NBA on the college court. Gonzaga had players that could do that, but as a team as a whole, they weren't that. So you've got to really force yourself to watch college basketball. There's so many players, you don't know them. You've got international guys that unless you're just a basketball nerd and you're following the NBL in Australia or any of the teams in, in, in Europe or China, um, you probably aren't as familiar with these guys. So it kind of takes you out of the loop. You're doing a lot of catching up and relying on the Roy Shungs of the world to tell you how good somebody is because you don't know yourself. With with this, I guarantee you, everybody has an opinion on how good they think Justin Fields is by just watching it or how good Zach Wilson is or how good, um, how good Trevor Lawrence is or Kyle Pitts or any of these guys because you've seen them. You know them. And... And if you're an NFL fan that just casually watches college football, you've had visions of what this guy's going to look in, look look like in your offense or defense. So it just brings out – it just brings more caring at that point. It just You just feel like, oh, man, we've seen, I have seen what this guy is going to look like in Bill Belichick's offense. You can use, you can use picks the same way that Gronkowski or – Forgive me for saying his name. Aaron Hernandez was used. Like, you, like you've, you've had that thought. In basketball, it's like, uh, Alexei Pokachevsky, okay. Yeah. Uh, where can I see video? He starts scouring YouTube. Okay. Yeah. How good were the guys he played against? Um, so this gives you, I mean, you just you feel more armed. And unlike National Signing Day, which is another one of those events that that, that, that is so overhyped, Unless you are just a recruiting nerd, and look, there are a lot of them in Oklahoma. You know, OU fans are nuts with this. Unless you're just watching a lot of high school film or you've gone and seen somebody play in high school, National Signing Day really shouldn't be that exciting. But that, I, mean, I think that is a day more for nerds, whereas the NFL draft is a day more for more for fans who don't have to devote as, as much time to it. And I use the term nerds lovingly. Believe me, I'm a nerd uh, about a lot of things. But it, it just, I don't know. It, it feels like there's more of a, it's more of a flip of a coin on National Signing Day than it is the draft. Because you just, yeah. and the other thing you've got to worry about now with National Signing Day, which takes the fun out of it is, oh, yeah, we signed this five-star quarterback. 
he's not going to start for us next year. So is he even going to be there in a year? <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, there's so many m- more moving parts to a, a national signing day scenario than a draft scenario. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned the NFL and the NBA drafts and I, I they couldn't be further apart in, in my mind. Um, first of all, you said you lose interest maybe in the twenties. I'm probably there from about 10 to 15 because I mean, if we're being honest, Eric, when you get past about the top 10, at that point, we're talking about guys that you just hope make an impact maybe off the bench. Like, we're not talking about starting caliber players. Whereas with the NFL, like the top 100 picks in the NFL draft, unless it's, you know, a, a project quarterback that you're putting behind Aaron Rodgers for a year or two, uh, I mean, the, the top 100 picks, the first three rounds, those guys are expected to step in and start immediately. So with the NFL draft, not only is every team drafting a guy that should step on the field and start and be a difference maker for them. But but you nailed it. I mean, the NBA draft is full of complete unknowns and international players and maybe some high school kids that decided to sit out for a year or, you know, some obscure college that nobody's ever heard of. And while I know there are the NFL players that come from obscure colleges, I mean, even those guys, for the most part, still get a lot more coverage, like a Trey Lance, for example, than... Uh, you know, some somebody that played basketball at Murray State for, you know, it's just, it's night and day to me. I, I think the NFL draft, uh, as far as in comparison to the NBA draft, is miles ahead. The difference, the difference for me is, first of all, I'm a bigger NBA fan than I am an NFL fan. Now, for, for job purposes, I'm going to talk more NFL because, pulling the curtain back in sports talk radio, the only sport that really truly matters is football. And just a quick side side note here, unless you've got a just a, a dynamic personality, like I'll give you Oklahoma City real quick for Craig Humphreys. I can't stand golf talk. But when Craig Humphreys talks about it, I want to listen just because I like Craig. Or when Mike Steely, who's on our show or on our station, talks about the Masters, I want to listen because Mike has a lot of passion for it, and Mike is likable. Where, you know, I don't fall into the likable category, so I better be talking football. <laughs> that being said, going to the, the NBA draft, being a bigger NBA fan, when you get into those late picks, like he talked about, all right, so this guy can come off the bench, right? Knowing that, unlike college basketball, the rotation patterns are, we'll just take the thunder. Starters are probably going to play for the first five minutes. There might be one or two guys that will play the first 12 minutes of the game, but now you're bringing guys off the bench. And with the NBA, those guys coming off the bench are expected to perform at just as high a level as your starters are. So is this guy I'm getting at, say, 22, can he come in and make an immediate impact, even if he's only playing 18 minutes a night or, you know, 15 minutes a night how efficient is he in those in those 15 minutes those things like i totally geek out on that like i yeah no clue what usage rate is I, i'm not even gonna re- I, you know call fred Katz if you want to know usage rate or you know percentage or what the you know high what the best percentage shot is like hate analytics hate all that but what i look for is when you're out there on the floor for the limited amount of time you may be I might look at your plus minus. That's kind of one stat I will kind of nerd out about a little bit. But 
I want to look. Are you blocking? Are you moving? Are, are you moving well without the ball? Are you playing defense? Are you able to contribute something? Can you deflect a pass at a high level? So, yeah, I'll stick around the, the NBA a little bit longer because knowing those bench players can actually have a, an impact on the game, it still means something to me. But when you see some of the NFL, those first three rounds are so key to some teams. And the other thing we see in the NFL draft is guys just, there's this tendency to, you can screw things up so easily in the NFL draft and it set you back five to six years. I might screw up an NBA draft. I might screw up one year. Mitch McGarry. (laughs) ain't going to sit me back that long. If If I'm smart, if I'm smart and can evaluate talent playing, that's already in the NBA now, as well as that coming in, even though I've missed on one guy that I had to get rid of in a year and a year and a half or two years or had to trade, go on camera paid, I can recover from that a lot quicker just by making a trade, just by making a draft next year, just by developing a guy at the G League. One player, two players can totally turn one of my screw-ups around where in the NFL, yeah, I go draft a quarterback after three years, he's done, and I'm shipping him off like Sam Darnold. Well, now I'm either bad enough where I'm picking two like the Jets, or I might be bad enough where I'm having to trade up and pick him again and start the process all over. So you hold your there, – there's still a lot of breath holding <laughs> with the NFL draft, yeah. even after yeah. the pick, because you're just thinking – Okay, it looks. I mean, and from week to week, it looks good. It might look bad, and you'll go. You'll you'll keep going back. You'll keep going back to it. And somebody, just mark my words, who's ever running the Jets and John Lynch are going to get fired over this draft because they're both going to make huge mistakes by taking the quarterback second, or, or with their picks, second and third. Do not take Zach Matt Jones. And Matt Zach Wilson, yeah, they will both get fired. They will, who's ever running the Jets and John Lynch, they're setting themselves up to get fired with these picks. So mark that, and when this guy turns out to be Hall of Famer, she can replay it. Um, so, that's an idiot. <laughs> The guy that uh, so, so I, I did a mock draft a couple weeks ago where I had people that cover each team make the picks for me. The guy that made the San Francisco pick selected Justin Fields in the mock draft, but he said that he really gets the impression. He said, I'm not buying into any of the, the Mac Jones stuff. He's like, I, you know, I just, I, I don't, I think that that's more like gamesmanship, but he said, I really do think they like Trey Lance a lot. And he said, I, I think that very much could be the pick uh, this morning. I don't know if you saw this uh, PFF tweeted that they were hearing that San Francisco had narrowed it down to either Mac Jones or Trey Lance at number three, which for me, Justin Fields is QB two in this class. I, I think comfortably, and I mean, we're, he may be still on the clock with three quarterbacks selected at number four. Jeez. All right. So let me ask you this: We got into this discussion today. You're the Atlanta Falcons sitting there at number four. You got. You you still got Matt you still got Maddie Ice there, right? Would you 
be willing if you had Pitts or Smith or Jamar Chase. Let's say they were the highest guys on your draft board. Yeah. Period. Like you even had them higher grade than Trevor Lawrence. Like maybe you thought, or you think Trevor Lawrence is great, but one of those guys is number two, and yeah. you know what for. Any one of those three guys is going to be there. Do you go ahead and take them, or let's say through your intel, you know the guy you really want is going to be there later in the draft, and somebody itching to just give you way over value for that fourth pick in Trey Lance. Do you go ahead and take the guy at four, not to not to risk losing him, or do you trade down thinking our intel's good, we got this. So, like the Patriots, the Patriots. I think if you, you you do that with the Patriots at fifteen, you're playing with fire. Okay. I'm not sure that yeah. any one of those guys will be, still be there at fifteen. Dallas Cowboys ten now all of a sudden becomes intriguing. If the Cowboys were to do it, and I'm not saying the Cowboys will, but this is just this is just for talk. Say the right. Cowboys want to move up from 10, 10 to four. And you're thinking, my God, Pitts could still be there at ten. Chase could still be there at ten. Yeah, let's do this. I mean, would you do it and risk it, or would you just go ahead and 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 make the pick and live with maybe overpaying that guy a, a, a little bit more? If you're not taking a quarterback, I think trading down would be the the better option. And maybe you still get the guy. I don't think Pitts is going to be available at ten. Maybe there's the chance if it falls the right way that Chase is, but I don't think he's going to be available either. But like, I, I do think Devontae Smith will still be available at 10, or Jalen Waddell will still be available at 10. So, yeah, I would trade down if, if we're talking about a positional player. But here's my thing with the NFL draft, and, and I always, I, I don't group, when I rank guys, I don't group quarterbacks and everybody else in the same category. Like, there's the ranking with all the other guys, and then there's the ranking with quarterbacks, because my philosophy is, if you don't have the quarterback and you view somebody as a franchise quarterback, you have to take them. Like, I don't care if they're the number five player on your board and you have four positional players that you have above them. If you need a quarterback, if you can't say, we have the guy that will be our guy three or four years down the road, you know, obviously barring injury, then I think you have to pull the trigger. And look, Matt Ryan is still a good quarterback. He's no longer one of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL. He's no longer the MVP-level Matt Ryan that he used to be. He's on the downhill slide. I don't know how many seasons he still has, but the answer for that, as far as Matt Ryan goes, for me, would be no. Is Matt Ryan the guy for them three, four years down the road? I think that answer is no. So if you're in that position and you have the opportunity to get a guy like that, if your answer to that question is no, I think you have to pull the trigger there. So... I think there are a couple of interesting scenarios in this first round where Atlanta doesn't desperately need a quarterback. Could they get Kyle Pitts, and will that make them better immediately? The answer is, of course, yes. I think Kyle Pitts is a generational, Hall of Fame caliber type of player. That's how good I think he is. But if you don't have that guy, somebody's got to throw him the ball. And if Matt Ryan retires in two years, and you're stuck with a Matt Schaub type for the next decade, then what's the point? I mean, we see this all the time in the NFL. I think the other really interesting case, let's just, for the sake of argument, say Justin Fields is available at 7 and Detroit's on the clock. Detroit just traded Matt Stafford. They have Jared Goff. Jared, You can win with Jared Goff. 
Now, I don't know if that roster can win with Jared Goff. That's a really bad football roster. But the point being, Jared Goff is a serviceable, good quarterback. He's not great. He's not elite. He's probably he's not going to win you a Super Bowl, but he's a good player. So, is he the answer for you two, three years down the road? The answer to that is no. I, I think if Fields is there, they have to take a good, hard look. Same thing for Carolina. Carolina just made the trade for Sam Darnold. I don't think they gave up so much that if Justin Fields were there, they they couldn't say, hey, I know we just made this trade for Darnold, but look, he's going into a, an option year. So, I, you know, they're, they're in a can't-miss situation, I think, if they decided to take a quarterback in that spot as well. Denver's also in the same situation. Is Drew Locke uh, average? Yeah, I mean, I guess he's average. Um, if you uh, lined up all 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, he's, he's on the second half of that side. But um, is Drew Locke just so much better than Mac Jones that you would have to take Mac Jones? No, I think they're about even. I think you could probably just roll with Drew Locke if that were the situation. But Justin Fields' upside is drastically better than a guy like Drew Locke. So I I think if you're Denver and he were there, you can't afford to pass on that guy. So um, if you're one of those teams that the answer to the quarterback question three years down the road is no, and Justin Fields is there, and and I know a lot of people have really been down on him throughout this process, but uh, to me, if you just look at the upside and you look at what he could be, I mean, this could be a, a future all-pro caliber quarterback. He has all the tools to be successful in the NFL. I, I think you have to really consider that regardless of what your needs are and regardless of whether you have somebody in place today. If that guy's not your future... You've got to go get your future. See, you, you, that's interesting. You and I are, are very different on this because I am a, I am very set in the ways of do not draft for need, especially in the first round. You always take the best player available, regardless of position, because draft. Yeah. I always believe that drafting for need gets you fired, and. To me, the best example of that was what the Dallas Cowboys did last year. Everybody screamed, well, they need defense. Right. But the guy who was highest on their draft board fell into their laps. You can't turn away from that. You've got to take that guy when he's there. You just you have to. And I agree so with that philosophy the- unless it applies to getting a franchise quarterback. Like, if you need an offensive and lineman that- or a defensive player and, say, there's just this unbelievable receipt, you know, Calvin Johnson's there, then go get Calvin Johnson. But uh, again, back to my original point, I I view the best player available list and the quarterback list as separate things because I I agree with that mentality 100% unless it applies to getting a franchise quarterback and then I don't think you can afford to pass on a franchise quarterback. See, and I'm I'm always gun shy about reaching on a quarterback. And Let's say you, you, you look at Zach Wilson, all right, and say as a quarterback, you've got him ranked as the second-best quarterback in this draft. But as a player, he's like 30th on your list. Well, if that's the case, do not take him because at that point you're overreaching because as a player, what yeah. you said, what, what you said at that point is, yeah, he's the second best quarterback in this draft, but then that then that tells me that the quarterback draft isn't good, right? And you've got and you've got Sam Darnold there, okay? Maybe he's not everything you want, but at least he's seasoned and he started to show and, and he's always showed up, even if he's inconsistent, 
He's shown you some upside. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take whom I've got as the best player at that point. Okay, so let's say the let's say it's a it's a receiver. So I go ahead and I, and I take him. Maybe that makes Darnold better. If not, what I might do if I'm still a little sketchy about Darnold, may draft a quarterback in, in in a later round, especially if I've. Um, but Sam Mills out of out of Stanford, that guy's becoming very interesting right now. Like, okay, well, I can get Sam Mills in the second. We'll just see how he plays out. Or Davis Mills. What I, yeah. Um, or what I could do is maybe I've got a draft. Maybe I've got something I can package together to get to get a veteran guy that I'm a little bit more comfortable with versus putting the fate of my franchise in the hands of a rookie who, while being the second-best quarterback in this draft, really isn't that good. Yeah, And it just feels like it's all too often. And, and, and one of the guys I used to work with at, at our old station, he said, you've got to stretch on the quarterback. you got to stretch on the quarterback. And this guy played 13 years in the NFL. And it's like, okay, how many teams have stretched on a quarterback and it ended up blowing up their franchise? Yeah. And that sounds all great to say because your organization has never had that guy at quarterback till now, and you're not even there. So yeah, you're thinking to yourself, how many more can how how many more Super Bowls could you have won with that guy? You never had that guy, but you won a lot of games. Your organization wasn't your organization screwed up the quarterback position one time, and we're lucky enough that you had a defense to, to, to bail them out. So just re, so just remember that. When, yeah. when, when you want your team to draft a quarterback. And yeah. for me, I, I'm looking at, and again, this is going to sound like such a homer thing to say. Whatever, throw me into the bus, don't care. I'm looking at the last three Oklahoma quarterbacks taken who all have a chance to start in the NFL this year, depending on what happens in Philadelphia. Oh, he's starting. I think he's I'm starting, waiting. yeah. Yeah, okay, so Jalen is starting. Yeah, he's starting. I'm going on Spencer Rattler. If I don't like, if, if, if all I can say about that for everybody behind Trevor Lawrence is they're good, you know, maybe they'll be great. If they're not that high on my draft board, you know what? I can wait till next year because Spencer Rattler is going to be there. And I'm going to figure out a way to get him. Yeah. Because right now I like him better than – I'll say this. I like him better than any of the other quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, part of that – isn't just because of what I've seen from Spencer Rattler. It's the track record of Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, and what we think might be Jalen Hurts. Gives me more hope that he's going to succeed in the NFL than any of these other guys not named Trevor Lawrence in this draft. Yeah. and I'm really high on Justin Fields, so I I would still rate Justin Fields higher than Spencer Rattler. But what you're describing to me, Eric, though, is is you're saying – these guys aren't franchise quarterbacks, which is a completely different conversation. If you evaluate the, to me, right. if you evaluate these guys as the 30th best player in this class, then to, you, that's not a franchise quarterback. And that, you know, the argument is void. Then you should take best player available. My point was, if you view one of these guys as a franchise quarterback, which means you probably have them ranked in the top 10, the number six overall player being a quarterback and the number two overall player being any other position, I think you have to go with the quarterback. I think we both, when it comes to running backs, and, and you're right, I, I, 
I, I like where your mindset is on that. I think where we both are on running backs is, and correct me if I'm wrong, unless that guy is Adrian Peterson, yeah, you don't take a running back in the in the first round, do you? No, no. I mean, if you're one of those teams in the you know the final six to eight picks that obviously are playoff teams and are very close. And, you know, there's a Travis Etienne available and, and you're a running back away, then yeah, pull the trigger there. But for, ba- for bad football teams, it makes no sense to me, again, unless it's an Adrian Peterson type uh, to, to take a running back that high. Because the NFL is just littered with guys that are taken on day two and day three that turn into good running backs. And look, in today's NFL, I, you don't need a great running back. I mean, the, the best teams in the NFL are throwing the football. Not even sure you need one in college football anymore. It's nice. It's a, a great running back is a luxury, not a necessity. Yeah. Uh, a, a great running back is a great running back is a classic Mercedes. It's beautiful. Looks great go. in the driveway. You can you can you can drive it around anywhere you want. But there are other cars that can get you from point A to point B. And, and and won't cost won't cost you as much money. Yeah, if you can get the Mercedes and you have the money, fine. But it should never be the it, it should never be the priority when you're when, when you're when you're trying to buy a car. And in the NFL, Jimmy Johnson has a philosophy, and I think I, I've I've been sold on this philosophy. The guys you take in the first three rounds, or are definitely the first round. Maybe the third, the first and second for sure. They better be able to win you the game in one play. So, unfortunately, for your left tackles, your your um, your safeties, those guys that that we've seen like taken in the first round, like Roy Williams is a first round draft pick. Those guys, Jimmy Johnson would not draft, and I think I'm. Because of the success he had in the NFL, I I love that philosophy. It's like, all right, so left tackle is great, and they're very high paid players. He did win a Super Bowl without a. He did have one of the best offensive lines in the history of the game, and none of those guys were exactly high draft picks. So that then falls down to your, you know, how good is your scouting department? How good is your development department? On being able to get the on, on being able to get those kind of guys, and I think what we've seen in the NFL, I don't know that scouting is as good as it as as it used to be. It feels more it feels more hit and miss now than what it was say say thirty years ago. It feels like in the last twenty years since like two thousand one, it's become a little bit more hit. It's become a little bit more hit and miss in these scouting departments, and I'm not really yeah. sure why that. I think why that see, is other than maybe analytic with the change in, in the style of football. I just think we see more teams that are willing to take a risk on what a guy could turn into than like just taking a guy because you know, he's going to be a good pro. I think there are more teams that evaluate a guy and say, you know what? Maybe he turns out to be nothing, but if he hits, he could be, you know, this all world type player. And, you know, again, the style of football is just so different. Like, I, I, I get what Jimmy Johnson's saying, and look, Jimmy Johnson's my favorite all-time coach. I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, uh, so obviously I love Jimmy Johnson. But again, because the style is so different, I think a left tackle can win you a game on one play. I mean, look at the failure to protect Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship game. Look at the failure to protect Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. 
a left tackle is yep. as I mean, you know, it's it's one of the three or four most important positions on the entire football field. So I think left tackle is a must if there's a guy like that in the top ten. Um, but you know, I mean, you could probably when we start talking about guards and centers and all that, like there are first round caliber guards and centers, but for the most part, I don't think there's the same value as yeah, like a left tackle, like a Panay Sewell, uh, for example. You're probably right, and it's, it maybe I mean, if you want to further submit that that argument, then go no further than the Kansas City Chiefs, who essentially just drafted a, 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 le- a left tackle yeah. on Friday by, by, by trading a first round pick to the Ravens for Orlando Brown. Essentially, what they did is they with a first round pick they drafted. Uh, now, granted, it's a seasoned, <laughs> it's a seasoned <laughs> left tackle in Orlando Brown. But they did. They, that, that's that's how you can view what the Chiefs did. And because of what happened in the Super Bowl, where you were missing not one but two tackles, they went all in to win it now and said, hey, this is our guy. We just need to protect Pat Mahomes. And if we do that, we're fine. Yeah, We'll, we'll be able to win it. We'll, we'll be able to win another Super Bowl. Um, so as long as Orlando Brown stays healthy, that furthers your, that furthers your argument over Jimmy Johnson to eat even further. You can always make, you can always bring that argument up. I still, I think you can develop, I think you can develop linemen. I I think you can find those guys. And the other thing that's so interesting about picking up NFL talent is what can you do with guys who go undrafted and are the free agents? Um, How many of those guys can you go out and, and, who are young and figure out how to, how to plug and play. None of this is none of this is exact, and that's when it gets really fascinating to me is to see what scouting departments do with the undrafted free agents and how many of those guys end up sticking. And yeah. look, look, a lot of it is you know we give these guys credit, but a lot of it is luck. I mean, yes, you scouted someone, you looked at them, you saw their upside or their downside. And you picked up the phone and called the agent and said, hey, we're willing to give him a contract. And then it just it, it happens to work out because you don't know 100% for sure, but it certainly puts you in a situation where you're always going to have a job if, if you're lucky enough to hit on one or two of those guys every couple of years. Yeah. I, you know, the one, I think one of the most fascinating parts of the draft for me, and, and this should be something that maybe you uh, talk to Pat about, and, and he probably would have some really insightful thoughts on this, this whole discussion, but I think one of the biggest issues every year in the draft is teams taking guys that aren't good fits for what they do, right? Like, you see this guy have a lot of success, and maybe he plays, you know, a, a completely different scheme than you play, and you just think it'll naturally transition over. And then when it doesn't, everybody's like, what the hell happened? Well, you know what? He, you know, let's just, for example, I'm just going to give an example. But, uh, like, say say you draft a press corner. That's what he excels at. And then you ask him to play zone the entire game. Like, you're, you're he's obviously not going to do what made him special. So why are your expectations going to be the same? Um, and And, you know, I think there are just so many examples of guys that, are drafted into bad fits, and then sometimes we see them move on, where they they get into a good fit, and all of a sudden they're they're playing good football. But there are so many times, and and look, I think in the old days it was probably even tougher because the college game and the NFL game were so polar opposite um, that you know you're watching one style of football in college and a, and a completely different in 
the NFL, whereas the two are are closer now in style than they've ever been. But still, I mean, you know, if if you're drafting a a high safety to play the box safety role, uh, and then you're like, why did this guy fail? Well, I mean, it's it's right there. It's right there in front of you. Bad fit. Well, and okay, I will ask Pat about that. I'm sure he's going to have some. He'll have some really good good insight on that, but. I will say to this, you're going to see more of that this year, from, from last year and this year, than you will at any other time. Because sometimes what that comes down to is the interview process. Yeah. And since you're not able to bring guys in and work them out and put, um, put film up on the screen and talk to them about what they did in certain situations or talk to them about what you're doing, like what you're saying, hey, you're playing a lot of press. We play zone. When you don't get a chance to really talk to them or they don't get a chance to show you what they know, now you're taking more of a chance. And unfortunately, it tends to ruin guys' careers more than it does end up getting a coach fired, depending on when that guy gets gets drafted. But a lot of that can come out in the interview process because through the interview process, if you're really good at your job, you can tell how much a guy can retain you can tell how much he can pick up. You can tell if he's able to, to adjust. Also, you need to know what kind of player you're, you're talking about. You need to know what kind of player you're getting. You're getting. Are you getting a guy that's cerebral? A, a guy that can think at an extremely high level and diagnose everything you're asking him to diagnose and everything the other team is, is di- everything the, he is doing and that they can react to that in a fast time. If it is not that guy, and you have got a, you've got a chance to get a really good athlete, and he is, as Pat says, a ghost sickum guy, you've got to know that he's that. And you've got to just put, your job is to put him in position to have the best success. And I think that's where, where maybe coaches get really screwed up, is a lot of times, instead of coaching athletes, they coach systems i can only coach yeah. this certain defense or i can only coach this coverage we can only play this offense man when you get russell wilson if, if you're expecting him to be troy aikman which again we're talking about a you know kind of a farcical right example right. here but yeah you're just you're, you're setting yourself up for failure when that you say well look we do this no 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 you drafted this guy it's now time for you to figure out how to work around him, not him to work around you. Not He doesn't adapt. You adapt to him. He doesn't adapt to you. But you have to know who that guy is. That's where people screw up, yeah. is that you're so rigid in your thinking of, well, we can only do this. Well, no, I got a chance to get a great athlete. And this guy's going to make us better. We're going to do things to help him make us better. I am not going to just marry myself to one particular way of way of doing things and that takes i mean i don't think that necessarily takes a special coach you just think it takes a smart coach to know that yeah um and i don't know i mean lincoln riley's a smart coach i mean he kind of he kind of adjusted for for jalen hurts i think he does the best job of that is nick saban nick saban does a great job 
adjusting to his players. Where I look at a guy like Mike Gundy, you know how fond I am of Mike Gundy, but I think Mike Gundy recruits more to a system, especially when it comes to quarterbacks. Although, this Saturday, they showed they've only got one Spencer Sanders. <laughs> Not a lot of athletes behind Spencer Sanders at quarterback. So yeah. that guy, if there's one real big negative about them as I go off on this track, it's just the fact that if Spencer Sanders goes down, there's not a good number two choice at, at, at LSU this year. Um, I like Illingsworth. I like his arm. I like his accuracy. I hate the fact that he's, he's just not that athletic. And in the, in the Big 12, in order to succeed, you got to be athletic, especially if, you're ha- especially if that offensive line is going to have trouble like it has in the past. You, then you're really going to need somebody that, that can make plays with their legs. So you're an OSU fan. Whatever candles you have to light before mass, um, whoever you pray to, whatever you pray to, do it. Put some sort of shield over Spencer Sanders and hope to God that kid stays healthy this year. That's a perfect transition because I was literally about to go from the NFL draft to what did you witness in Stillwater and, and what were your big takeaways? So, um, that was that was the biggest takeaway. Um, Kate Martin's going to be oh, OSU is going to be mark my words OSU will be better this year than they were last year, provided Spencer Sanders stays healthy. Because on defense. They don't look like they've lost a step at all on defense. And, in fact, they're still very well coached. They still tackle. Um, the way they had – now, here's the thing. The way they had things split up, they let the coaches pick players. So, what like OU where it was offense versus defense, ones versus twos or anything like that. It was yeah. pretty split up. And in the trenches, the guys on the orange side side of the ball, both defense and offense, did a much better job than the guys who were on the black team. Um, especially in the early going, defensive line was camping out in the, in the backfield uh, on the orange team. And they were doing a pretty good job on the offensive side of keeping Spencer Sanders protected, um, giving the running backs uh, run to move or room to move. Uh, Zach Middleton, for some reason, got a lot of carries. They, you didn't see just a ton of LD Brown or Des Jackson. I will say running back-wise that uh, Jalen Warren, the kid out of Utah State, got a chance to be really good for them this year. Um, what else did I see that really popped out to me? Oh, Tay Martin. They were alternating between Tay Martin and Brendan Presley fielding punts. I'm not sure what to make of that. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't know if Mike Gundy is saying to himself, we want and need Brennan Presley to be an integral part of this offense. So we don't want to risk him getting hurt on special teams. Or if there's just a tight battle and both of them have shown to be really good at fielding punts during spring where he's like, okay, I just, I, I got to make a decision on one of these guys. Either way, it's a good problem to have. Um, Martin is tall and has speed. And Presley is short and, and can take it to the house yeah. on any given punt. So they're going to be good there. Martin, some people blame Spencer Sanders for some of his throws. Martin had a couple of times he, he could have, would have, should have made plays. One in the corner of the end zone where he could have gone over the guy covering him and caught the ball and pinned it against his back and didn't do it. Sanders, and I know I'm kind of all over the place on this, 
Sanders, the one thing that bothered me about him, twice when he was throwing to Zach Middleton in the flat, and then another time where he had a receiver open but hesitated and allowed him to get covered because he couldn't he, he didn't seem like he could make up his mind about whether to, to pull it down or run and throw it. And going back to that throw in the flat, he hesitated on both those plays. That's something you do not need to see in his game from a guy that is a senior now. He needs to be decisive. Yeah. And it bothers you in watching Caleb Williams play at OU that here's a guy who's only been on campus a few weeks, literally just a few weeks, months if you want to call it that, who wasn't indecisive at all, who has a much stronger arm, who's pro- who is probably more accurate throws the ball like a... I mean, think about some of your great fastball pitchers. He throws the ball like that. I mean, ball right. explodes out of his hand. I mean, it is hard really and on the money. Really impressive, yeah. It bothers me to no end that Spencer Sanders is a senior at Oklahoma State, and he's a kid I really, really like. And here's this kid at OU who could, who would who would have his job now if he was in Stillwater. That irks me. Yeah, and it's not because I'm an OSU fan. It's just that I want Spencer Sanders to be better. I want OSU to be better this year, and I do think that there is there's more of an edge. There's more of a confidence about Oklahoma State this year. They don't there doesn't seem to be any distractions where everything you thought they could be last year. They may actually be this year. They might be a year behind a, a schedule. Um, now you've got a tough game. You've got a tough back to back with Texas. And, and Iowa State, and OU's always going to be what it is for them. But there's more excitement around Stillwater. OU, you use that word edge and just kind of going off and comparing the two. There's an edge to OU this year. First of all, defensively, OU hadn't looked this good since probably 2008. And there's oh, an edge yeah, to Lincoln Riley. And there's an edge to Lincoln Riley we haven't seen either. The all shucks, whatever that is, that is gone. And she was talking about, the, first of all, Lincoln Riley needs to know he does not have a great running back on this team. He's got some good ones. He's got a great one. But when he said, we have very high expectations for that group, it wasn't, it didn't feel like he was talking just about the running backs. It felt like there's some very high expectations here at OU, and it's just, not going to be good enough. Going to the playoffs isn't good enough this year. Winning the Big 12 isn't good enough. Yeah. There has to be another. You can just feel that there has to be another step taken. And I don't know what has changed, but Lincoln Riley just, he feels there's something different about him than what we've seen maybe in, in the first three, four seasons he, he was at, at OU. There's, there's a difference there. Or I guess first three seasons. I, I, I think he just recognizes the obvious, Eric. I mean, it's this is the best complete team they've had. The defense is finally fixed. Uh, you look at the the playmakers on both sides of the football across the board. You look at the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the, the Clemsons and all of those teams have to replace quarterbacks. You have experience at the most important position on the field. You have playmakers. You have experience. You have a defense that prove that it's one of the best in the country. The Stars have a line for this to be the season that they they finally get over that hump. So 
I, I think that's he just recognizes that the opportunity is there. I mean, I, I think in sports so often we talk about like this this window and this chance, like to to go win it. At some point, you have to be at that moment. It's not always, you know. Hey, they're going to be good. They're going to be good. At some point, you have to say, hey, they are good, and this is when they have to capitalize on it. And I think that's 2021 for Oklahoma football. One of the the things you'll notice this year between these two teams, Stillwater, it's going to be a lot more fun after a win in Stillwater. It's not going to be very much fun after a win in in Norman. It's going to be a sense of relief. And you can just, you you know that kind of going into this year, there's there's one mission. It's win a it, it is win a national championship. Yeah. It is national championship or bust with OU. That's the mentality, and that's not just of the fans. That's of the program this year. Now it doesn't mean that Joe Castiglione is going to go nuts if OU doesn't win it, and Lincoln Riley is going to be on the hot seat. In fact, nothing could be further from the truth. Lincoln right. Riley probably has a job there. As long as Joe C is there, because Joe C just one doesn't make rash, rash decisions, and two, he's as smart as an athletic director as you're, you're ever going to find. So for OU this year, one, they the other thing that OU's got this year that they haven't had in a long time, they've got depth on the defense. I mean, first of all, Billy Bowman, all three stood out. The defensive backs, yeah, the defensive backs all stood out. Um, it feels like the linebacking core, you're about as salty as you've ever been. It's a blessing to have Caleb Kelly back. He made a couple of plays up front. Now, here's the one question going into the after the spring game that you've got to ask yourself. What you saw up front from the defensive line, was that good? Or was that the fact that there's so many changes on the offensive line and they're still trying to figure out a few positions? that it was allowing the defensive line to have success. And you probably won't get the answer to that until you start conference play this year because OU is going to mow through that non-con schedule this year. So that if there's anything that's a little fuzzy, it's the play of the offense and defensive line because the defensive line looks so good, but I just wonder – you know, where that is in comparison to the offensive line. And with the offensive line trying to figure out positions, I expect them to take about the first month of the season to get to the point where you know they're good. Again, I think they're athletically so much better than everybody they play in the non-con, even if they're not that good. The the average eye won't be able to tell that. Um, and by average eye, I do mean people that watch football every single week and write about it for a living or talk about it for a living. You won't be able to tell until they play somebody that is as close to their caliber just how good just how good they are. Um, I, th- I think the coaches will be able to tell because you're going to be looking at technique. Um, you know, there might be some obvious things. Like if somebody misses a block and Spencer Rattler has to make a play with his leg, it'll probably happen. But they'll look a little bit more technique, first step, just how hard that first punch is coming off the line. Yeah. Um, when going into defender, can you extend your arms and make you know make a guy who is bigger and faster? You know, can you keep him contained? These are these are just the questions we just don't have answers to right now. And it's kind of the same thing with Oklahoma State. It's like. Okay, well, if you divided everyone up, why didn't you keep the offensive line that was producing for you, if they've been producing for you in practice, 
Why didn't you keep them together? Yeah. For, for, for the spring game. Why didn't you just make sure? Because if these are the guys you think are going to be your ones, you probably let them ought to get as much work in as a unit as you possibly can. So I, I didn't understand. That, that. That is maybe the one part about the Oklahoma State game I, I didn't understand is why you divide those guys up. But the good news, I mean, the overall good news, like both teams, I mean, OU is, can compete with anybody in the country. Oklahoma State can certainly compete in the Big 12. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know that that makes Bedlam any more compelling because I'm really worried that what we saw last year may happen again right now. But I do think that Oklahoma State fans can at least at least be excited that this, that this team will be better than they were next year. And honestly, one thing from OSU, four losses ought to be an extremely disappointing year. Yeah. This is why I like the spring game. Not because of anything that actually happens in the spring game, not that it gives us any concrete takes, but because it just generates the conversations that we've had basically for the last week. So, I'm a fan. Yeah, this is what we go on now for what the next <laughs> the next six months. Yeah, let's go back to the spring game again to see how things are going to be, and then the game one rolls around and it blows everything to hell, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. how was I so wrong about that? <laughs> I love it. All right, my friend, always appreciate you. Uh, we will catch up again next week. Sounds like a plan, Colby. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks to Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal for joining me every Tuesday on the Colby Daniels Podcast, which is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. They have Kratom, they have CBD, they have Delta 8. Whatever it is you're looking for to help with anxiety or pain or opioid alternatives, they have what you're looking for, and they have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So any questions you have about these products or their health benefits, don't hesitate to reach out to Artisan Botanicals, 405-458-9699. And when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, we're saving you 15% with the discount code Colby Show. C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, discount code Colby Show to save 15% off your online order, abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.